to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, commonly called the love chapter. Beginning in verse 8 today. Then God knew in advance what we were going to need. A good dose of His love and grace this morning. And sense of peace and understanding and awareness. Because I certainly did not plan this message in light of the events that are now happening. Rather, this message has been worked through me and in me for a couple of weeks, long before any of this stuff was happening. And um, how timely, how timely. These are true words. I invite you to stand for these verses. They are words of comfort, of challenge, from God's heart to ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Do you believe this morning that God is in control? Do you believe that He knows what He's doing? Yes. That He hasn't forgotten you? He hasn't forgotten us? He hasn't forgotten our nation? That He has not forgotten the cries of His people? Yes. If you know that, then this morning, this message will challenge you to take that trust in God to the next level. And I want to start by asking you a question if you know who you are. If I were to ask you, who are you? What would you say? Hi, my name is Jonathan, if if you were me. Or would you say, well, I work at this. Or I'm a father, I'm a mother. I'm a, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. How would you answer, who are you? A sinner. A sinner. Child of God. Do you know what it means to be who you really are? If you know that you're a child of God, and if you don't know you're a child of God, we need to have you at this altar right away to get you in that relationship. We need you to come and belong to Jesus Christ today. You need you to do that more than we do. (laughs) What is your status in Christ? Do you belong to Him? Is He Lord and King in your life? This changes everything. And if He is Lord and King in your life, do you really, really believe 
that you are under His careful protection, watchful eye, and He knows how to care for you. These questions are important because if you know that no matter what happens, God will reign supreme and you will be with Him in eternity where there's no more tears, sorrow, pain, crying, dying anymore. If you know that's true, then the other stuff you can handle. If you don't know it, the other stuff can drive you crazy. God has told us who we are in Christ. We're spotless, forgiven, redeemed, empowered. We are bold. We are loving. We are clear-headed and sent to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God. These statements can come to us in the midst of unrest and cause us to wonder, how does it apply? Part of us resists and says, how is this relevant for this world around me right now? How am I supposed to find sense in this world just because you've empowered me and I don't feel so strong? We are battling what we've come to understand about who we are outside of Christ when trials and struggles come. This black box we've been referring to with our memories, our emotions, and our understanding of who we are, all the different colored files and words and thoughts that crowd our mind when God says, you can do all things through Christ. And we go, I know I can, but I don't know if I can do this. Or I don't know what to do. But Scripture says you can discern and know the perfect will of God when you are not conformed to this world, but transformed by God's renewing of your mind. That we can know His perfect will. But we say, well, I don't know, God, because it's not in here. I don't understand it. (laughs) I still don't know what Your will is for my life, God. What Your purpose? Why did You make me? Why am I here? God, what are You trying to tell me? And God keeps saying, I'm trying to show you, but you keep looking at yourself through a bunch of filters. You keep looking through stuff that tells you other than what God says is true. We resist the good news that God's work is in us and through us and that we are empowered through Jesus Christ to transform the world around us. And you and I can reach the over 400 within four miles of this place for Jesus Christ and His church. We can do that. We go, oh yeah, it sounds great. We get all excited about it. We go, oh, what do I do now? We walk out the door and go, well, I'm going to go eat lunch and I'm going to take a nap and then I'll think about the 400 later. But do you know that that part of us that resists God's work in us is the part of us that doesn't understand who God is. It doesn't understand His grace and His mercy and His power. God speaks to us. We hear a good word. We hear a blessing or an encouragement. And all of a sudden, we're excited to do something until we have to start doing it. And then all of a sudden, our nice little equilibrium world, our peaceful status is disrupted. 
And I got to go do something, get out of my comfort zone. God, I don't know. I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't feel safe in this world, let alone telling others who might be violent about you. I can see it on the news, Lord. They're killing people, rioting. Uh, the church, you know, they might, they might not like me. They might not like the church. They may not like you. And we find all these reasons to tell God it's not safe out there. I know it's not safe out there. God didn't ask it to be. He asked you to be courageous and bold and live with the spirit of non-fear. Rather, love that world out there more than your fear of it. But when God asks us to go, it disturbs what is called our homeostasis or our safe little world. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. You may have remembered the Cascade sermon we had uh, a year or so ago. And... Uh, I talked about homeostasis then, but I want to go over it with you again because I see it a little differently today than I did back then. Let me first of all tell you that all those what we call negative emotions can be thought of as survival mode emotions. Emotions, excuse me. Those things are kind of like anger, hunger, um, disgust. All these things that we feel um, are what's called survival. In other words, when we feel them, there's something that's alerting our, our system that God's designed to tell us this isn't safe. Walking down a dark alley and you see someone pull a knife or a gun, you're going to have this survival mode kick in. It's going to say it's not safe. You need to begin to do something. And you have this sense of heightened awareness. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's anxiety, however you might feel it. But something tells you it's not safe and your emotion your body goes on high alert and you're ready to act. Every single emotion that you have, God has given you for a specific purpose. When we get into those survival modes, they are the opposite of feeling safe. That feeling of safe where... Everything's okay in my life and world right now. That feeling of safeness is called that homeostasis. It means the environment is calm. We don't sense or perceive any danger, hunger, or survival needs. We feel physically and emotionally safe there. Something disrupts it. All the bells and whistles go off. Sometimes those inner voices, oh, here comes the big one. <laughs> Something like that. Or, oh, here we go again. Maybe you uh, don't know what I'm talking about, but let me say this. When we no longer feel safe in our environment or where we are, our body triggers what's called a homeostatic drive. God-built drive that does whatever it can to get back to a safe place. It's built in. So if we're anxious or filled with anxiety, it's not like we're going, man, this feels great. I like this. No, we don't like it. Or if we're angry. I don't know anybody who goes, man, I just love being angry. 
Or if we're depressed, I don't hear anybody going, man, this is just wonderful. I hope I stay here for the rest of my life. It's so wonderful feeling depressed. No, we don't do that. Because we don't like those places because they're not safe places for us. They're not normal feelings where everything's okay. So, when a negative, as we would call it, emotion like fear happens, it throws our brains and our bodies out of balance. That survival mode, as I mentioned. And as unpleasant as these can be, these negative emotions that we call negative, it's designed to serve one purpose. As I said, to help motivate our behavior that will bring us back into homeostasis or, or safety. This is where our bodies and brains want us to be whenever possible. Think about it like this. Do you remember however long ago it was, the Brookport tornado? I think it was in November. I think it might have been 14. And on the news, people were talking about it. And, and, and this is what one of the reporters said. This town is devastated. It's going to take a while before life gets back to normal. Normal. See? Right now it's disrupted and everything's in chaos. But we want that normal. And that's what we want to get back to. And that's what we desire in our society. And that's what we as a church desire. It's what we desire for our country. It's what we desire our, our, our president or future president to do for us. It's to get us to a sense of sensibility and normal. To stop the insanity. The craziness in our world. We want that to happen. All of us want it, but our definitions of normal can be different. Regardless, we still want the normal that we're familiar with. This drive, whenever things are out of balance, has been crafted to keep us at peace. Now let me give you a situation, alright? Let's say you're walking on a pleasant street one day. A street filled with trees. It's a sunny day. Not too hot, not too cold, not too humid. And there's puppies and cute kids playing around, right? And let's say you're walking along this street and you see a small boy pull out a water pistol. Harmless enough, right? But let's say further that a long time ago, you were robbed at gunpoint by someone surprising you with something that looked kind of like what that boy has in his hand. And so, since then, at that moment when that happened to you, even the sight of that water pistol creates a sense of fear because it reminds you of what happened. Now, that fear comes and creates this lack of calm and safety. And so your body starts getting ready to act, but your brain is going... Hey, it's just a water pistol. Don't be afraid. It can't hurt you. It's just a little boy. He's not trying to hurt you. But you've still got all this anxiety going on. Oh, don't shoot me. I'm, I'm, I'll do whatever you want. Is that fear way down in there? Trauma has come back. But your brain's going, there's no danger. Why do you feel this way? <laughs> and that disconnect from your brain to your fear is the problem that we face a lot in our society. 
the rational part of us, our brain that says, that water pistol can't hurt me, disconnects from the part of us emotionally that's put us in survival mode. Man, i got to run, i got to get away. Even though we know it doesn't make sense. Once this happens, this drive, this powerful drive that tries to get us back to a sense of peace kicks into high gear. It begins to tell us to either fight, flight, or duck and run. A bunch of different responses of which we need to do. But what happens though is this disconnect is very common. Now you say, what do you mean? Well, God asks you and me to risk. He asks us, why don't you go out and tell people about my son Jesus and how much He's done for you? And we go, okay, I'll do that. But then we think about it. We start walking down the street and we see, well, who should I tell? How about the next person God sees that you see? Next person I see that I don't know. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And we start, okay, okay, I'm doing it, God. And we go, uh, uh, and we get anxious. What am I going to say? How do I do it? And all of a sudden, this fear kicks in. But our mind is saying, but, but God told me I, I should do this, but, but I'm scared. What part wins? The part of you that kicks in and says, let's find a safe place. Let's not say anything. We want peace. We do nothing or ignore God's call. But God keeps creating that disconnect from what He asks and where you feel safe. He keeps asking you to get out of your comfort zone. And He asks you, as He does this repeatedly, that you'll begin to see you're no longer satisfied unless you do what God asks. It gets deeper and deeper. And frankly, we finally seek peace by saying yes to God. And thank God that we finally do that. There are lots of stories, pastors and other people who said, I fought God for a long time and finally said, I surrender. (laughs) Because it was easier to get the peace of God than the peace of not doing what God wanted. Because one is deeper. Our world is in conflict. We see Christians beheaded. We're concerned. We see Christians shot in our own country, in Oregon. And we are more concerned as it gets closer to home. But we want to make sense of it all and find peace. We say, things are getting pretty bad here. I wonder what I would do in those situations. I wonder if people around me are angry at the police officers or the Christians in my neck of the woods. And then we think about it and we try to put it out of our mind until we no longer feel anxious about those thoughts or else something else grabs our attention and takes our mind off of it. A lot of us here struggle with anxious thoughts. Some of us can't sleep because of them. And some of us can't eat because of them. And some of us don't want to stop working for God because of them. And yet God keeps asking us to do something. And when God asks you to do something, have you ever heard yourself say, well, I just don't have a peace about that. I should hope you don't. 
I should hope you have a turmoil and a conflict because God's trying to get you out in a place that's uncomfortable. When Jesus Christ was asked to go to the cross and He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's going, Father, I just don't have a peace about this. I don't think You want me to do this. This could hurt. I don't think that's what He said. What He said is, Father, I don't want to do this. This scares me. This is going to hurt. But not what I want. I find peace in doing what You want rather than what I want for me. So I will do it. But a lot of people say, I don't have a peace about that, so I don't know if I'm going to do that. And they, they think it's a godly statement. But God's not asking you to have peace about something. He's asking you to do something whether or not it feels good or not. You will sense God's peace through being obedient. Not through thinking you should have a sense of peace of what God called you to do. Well, I just don't feel safe. Your homeostatic drive is kicked in. Hello? You ain't not going to feel safe when God asks you to do something that creates anxiety in you or anger or frustration or fear. You're not going to have peace. Your body's going to ask you to get to a safe place and God's going to say, there is no safe place for you except with Me. And so our minds try to argue with God. And our hearts try to tell us, no, God's right. He is the Creator. He made me. Listen to Him. And we're going, no, I can't. I can't because it's too hard. It's dangerous. It's scary. People won't like me. All our fears jump in the face of God's Word. God is supreme. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He knows what's going on in our society. He knows what's going on in our lives. If you don't think so, Read Matthew where he says he sees a little bird fall from the tree. And how many little birds do you think fall from trees every day? He's aware of it. And these things don't affect us. So imagine how aware he is of the things that do. So Brookport's probably back to normal. But can you imagine every time there's a thunderstorm warning or a tornado watch or a tornado warning, do you think their ears aren't perked up? Do you think their senses aren't heightened? Do you think they're not saying, oh, I hope it doesn't again? Tornadoes do strike twice in the same places. Could be us. Let me ask you a question. Is it normal in Brookport now? How would we know? (laughs) We wouldn't. It's not our normal. Our normal is we've never had a tornado like that. Their normal is it happens. Ephesians tells us something and we need to take good note of this. I've got... Queued up chapter 6, where it's talking about the armor of God right before that. It says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness 
in the heavenly places. Now, hear me carefully. We're not fighting against something that makes sense. We're fighting against something that doesn't play fair. That we don't understand the rules of. We're fighting against our own unwillingness to listen and do what God asks also. Why? Let me tell you why. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, God very clearly tells us that love matters most. <laughs> but we don't get this. We think, well, um, I don't think God's really got it figured out right. God is kind of confused about these things. He's wrong. He's, he's, he's actually irrelevant in today's society because love doesn't help. If love worked, these people wouldn't do that. It's not true, but we say these things. But we are battling a spiritual reality. Now listen carefully. And I'll try and put this in, in terms of really grab a hold of this truth. God has said that you and I are empowered to take the Gospel with His authority to the world around us. Yet, there's a part of this world and the stuff in our head and minds that says, I, I don't know how. I can't. I, I'm not really what God says. There's this fear and doubt inside of us. Now hear this. When that fear and question and doubt rises up, there's another part of us that says, let's get some peace about that. Or let's get safe about that. And let's not think about what God says I can do. And therefore I don't have to do it and I'll feel okay. <laughs> but God doesn't do work like that. Because the thing that's telling you you can't do that is not from God. The thing that's telling you that you can't do what God says you can do, that you aren't who you are, is not godly. It is the principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness telling you that you can't do that. And it's trying to challenge you to say, stay safe. Stay calm. If you do God's Word, it's not going to work because it's not true. And so it's going to pull you into this place of uncertainty. And the only way you can defeat uncertainty in spiritual places is to act with boldness and faith to take a step and do it. You cannot reason it out. It is beyond our thoughts. It is beyond our physical capabilities to bring that peace back. You and I cannot wish this world better. It's unfortunate. Because if we could, it would be better. But God has said, we're battling mindsets of this world. Fears. Generational curses. All these things are what we're waging war against. And the only way you can fight it is in prayer and on the front battle lines. Saying that God is real and love makes a difference. That love never fails. God never fails. But we've stood by idly and said, but this is bigger than love and love can't do that. But we've never really risked that kind of love. To really engage at a point where we say, hey, this is going to take my life maybe, but not my will, God, Your will. That's where the power comes. That's when you get to go to the cross and the world's transformed. That's when you become a Paul who becomes 
a shipwrecked man, a snake bit man. You talk about bad luck. He had 39 minus, uh, 40 minus 1 lashing three times. Talk about a man who's beat up, but he didn't stop. He didn't relent. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And his words still speak to us today in 1 Corinthians 13. And he said, love never fails. It never fails. And he's probably decrepit and hurting. And he's going, this world's beating me up, but love never fails. How can he say that, you ask? Because the power of God is in him. And even kerchiefs that touched him would heal sick. That kind of belief is what God's looking for from you and me. But when we start to think about it, oh, we're unrestful. It's not safe. It isn't supposed to be safe. God didn't come to you and say, let's go have fun. He said, your life's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. And you're not going to know what's coming. God, I just want to plant. <laughs> I just want to plant. And so Paul says, and I pulled this up in the King James up on the screen, so I really want you to hear verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, We now see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I am known. Now, I'm going to break this verse down for you because this is the whole Gospel message in this verse. It says we see through. We're looking through a glass darkly. Now, it doesn't mean like what this candle is in. A glass like this. It doesn't mean that. It's talking about the kind of glass they had back then, which was a piece of brass. And that brass was polished as good as they could, and they would hold it up and look at themselves in a polished piece of brass, which was their mirror. This is how they would see their face. And so what it's saying is, I'm looking into this mirror to see what I look like. Well, if you know, a polished piece of brass is going to make you look funny color. You're going to be yellow. You're going to look jaundiced. A polished piece of brass is not going to be smooth like a mirror we have. So you're going to look distorted. You're not going to see who you are real well. But what it says here in this passage is, the word darkly there, it's, it's, it's this crazy word called enigma. You ever heard the word enigma? I'm looking into a glass and I see an enigma. Myself as an enigma. Meaning that I am not who I see. I am who I think I am, but that's not who I am really. And I don't see who I see in the mirror as who God says I am. I only see with my own eyes, my own limited understanding, my own perceptions, how life is colored, my thoughts about myself. But here it says, I'm looking at an enigma. An enigma is a peculiarity, something you don't quite understand. It's very hard to grasp. It's like unique. <laughs> That's a good word for it. We all want to be unique. Here you are. You are an enigma. You can wear that proudly. And he says, so I don't know who I am. I'm an enigma to myself. I don't understand me, really. Because if I did, I would be doing the things God asked me to do without question. So, one day, 
that then face to face is one day I'm going to look face to face at Jesus Christ and at myself. I only know a little bit about what God says about me and I know only a little bit about God, but those things that I know are a little bit of the big picture. But one day, I will know as I am known. And that's not talking about knowing Jesus as you know, um, as He knows you. It's talking about that you will know who you are in Christ as He already does know you that way. But the part of you that doesn't understand that sees yourself as this enigma. I'm not quite what God wants me to... You ever heard something say this? I'm not quite there yet, but God's still working on me. Well, of course He's working on you because you can't stop letting Him work on you because you're not letting Him do anything. He's still working on me. He doesn't need to work on you. You just need to walk in obedience so He can stop working on you and can work through you. I don't think God needs to work on you. He needs to work in you, through you, to the world around you, and then you'll know who you are in Christ. We can't know our identity until we know what we're capable of. I'm sorry, did I miss that? Did you miss that? You cannot know your identity in Christ until you know what you're capable of. And you can't tell God what you can and cannot do. Because He knows differently. And when you start to tell Him that, you're trying to get to this place where God, you want me to do this, but you know, I can't do that. I just want to, you know, do this thing over here to save. That thing that tells God, I just want to do the safe thing, is a physical drive within you that says, I just want to be comfortable. It is not spiritual. You're fighting against a flesh and blood internal with a spiritual truth and you got the other spiritual forces saying that that truth of God isn't true either. So who do you think's going to win? Who's stuck in the middle? you got the wicked forces pulling you this way, your doubts and fears pulling you this way, and God trying to pull you upward. Do you not think you will be in turmoil? Of course you will be. Of course this world's in turmoil because people don't know who they are. They think their identity is by what they own or whether someone respects them or whether someone likes them or doesn't like them instead of who they are in Christ which is a beloved child of God which we all agreed we are. So to walk in that truth is to say love never fails then everything else is going to fail, but God's love through me will not. So Paul says we're looking through that glass at ourselves as an enigma. Wouldn't it be wonderful to just trust that the image that you have on you that you cannot see, you cannot look into your own eyes, no matter how you try. But to trust that that's what God says it is. You stop trying to look at it and figure it out. And trust it. And find peace in that. That would help a lot. Because we don't know ourselves clear enough. One day we will. And until then we take it on faith. 
that we must love and walk in obedience to the identity God has placed on all His children. How easy is it for you? Pretty easy for me. to Look at someone else and say, I see God in you. You could do great things for God. I believe in you. But, but then, we can say that for just about everybody. We look at ourselves and go, I don't know. Why do we single ourselves out as incapable? Why do we single ourselves out as unworthy? Why do we single ourselves out as not one of God's special chosen people? Why? Because we're still battling the battle of Christ has already won on Calvary. We're free already from that mess. He's already given us peace that passes understanding. We don't have to have a peace about it. We just have to have obedience about it and walk in faith. You don't have to see it. This is what this passage is saying. You don't have to see it to do it. You just have to do it. And then you will see it. So I'm asking you this morning, in this world that's crazy, we know this denomination, who knows what's going to happen in our denomination. Do you understand that God is asking you to rise above all that? To love regardless. That that stuff's going to create discord and it's going to say, well, love doesn't work. <laughs> that's what the enemy's trying to get you to believe. Love and God does not work anymore. And a lot of people bought into the lie. But I'm praying this morning that you haven't yet. But if you have, you're ready to change your mind and start walking out the grace that's so desperately needed to all the broken people in this world. Because when I hear the letter about the bishop and the turmoil in the church, it doesn't make me angry. It makes my heart break for the people who are missing out on the awesomeness of God's power and fighting over petty stuff. We're not fighting God. We're fighting stuff that takes our peace. But if we walk in obedience to God, the stuff that takes our peace can't touch our relationship or the peace that He gives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we've looked through and in the glass. We've seen ourselves in the mirror so many times and sometimes we can't look very long. <laughs> we don't like what we see. <laughs> the person looking back doesn't make any sense to us. It uh, seems like a person that confuses us and it's us. Sometimes we don't even love the person in the mirror, let alone like them. Sometimes we loathe them. And Heavenly Father, it's not your eyes we're seeing ourselves with. We are an enigma to You too because we've got the greatest Savior, the greatest gift, the most powerful life and love and Holy Spirit that transforms lives in the world around us. And we're sitting here powerless. Or so we think. Because we just won't take our eyes and see that we're more than what we see. We're more than what we do. We're more than a name or a family. God, we are Yours. And You bestowed upon us everything that You bestowed upon Your Son. God, I'm asking You this morning to help us to take that step of faith. The step of faith that says, I'm safe wherever I go, no matter my environment. 
Because God has my rear guard, my front guard, He's above me, He's below me, and He's everywhere I go. And I trust Him. So help us to get back to that place in You where life makes sense because You said it does. A life being Jesus Christ. Amen. I've asked uh, us to uh, sing our closing song of I Am Thine, O Lord. And I've asked them to slow